Hello and welcome to our webinar on the essentials of coaching. My name is Helen Kane and I am CEO of One MSL. It is my very great pleasure today to introduce you to my colleague Kevin Woodhams, our learning and development lead here at One MSL, who is going to take us through this webinar. Coaching, of course, is a huge topic, and I know that Kevin is looking forward to taking us on a whistle-stop tour on the essentials of coaching. So, hello, Kevin. Good morning, Helen. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you said that uh, it's going to be a whistle-stop tour uh, because I could happily talk for the rest of the day and probably the rest of the week if I was given the opportunity. Great. So, well, why don't we kick off? Ah, this is a big question, Kevin. So one of the things I think you'll probably agree that we've learned from speaking with many of our clients is that People historically, or even today, associate coaching with performance management. We've learned two things. One is, is that very often it is associated with people management, the performance management of individuals. And the second challenge that we often hear is that surely coaching is only for our commercial colleagues in the industry. So what's your view on that? Uh, well, I, I think we'll, we'll explore it through this question. So if I was to show you the image on the screen here um, and ask you what you were seeing, there's likely to be lots of different answers to the question. In fact, I've done it in many workshops and, and the output is always the same. You get some people who come up with very literal um, words associated with the apple healthy crunchy sweet delicious um, and then you get people thinking other ways so thinking about the iPhone Mac gravity um, uh, and everyone thinks about apple pie but the, the, the whole point of this is how does that relate to coaching and the thing is we think about coaching based on our own experience so if our experience of coaching has been good um, then we will expect it to be good. If our coaching has been bad, um, particularly if people have said they're doing coaching when they're managing poor performance, then that's what we're expecting. Um, and what we want people to think about is the fact that it's a helpful conversation. That's how we should define coaching, I think. Um, and it's vital that we actually have that initial conversation with their coachees um, before trying to do the coaching. <clears throat> My experience shows that, that new managers out there who've attended a coaching workshop, for instance, want to get out and start using their skills without having that conversation. So in order for coaching to be effective, actually both parties, both coach and coachee, need a shared understanding about what coaching is and what this coaching relationship is for. If you look on the internet, there are literally hundreds of definitions of coaching, and here's kind of three that I, I like. So I, I think the first one where it says to convey a valued person from where he or she is to where he or she wants to be, takes out that performance management thinking. So this is about someone who we believe in and we believe can be even better than they already are. 
we talk about in the second one to enhance someone's performance by helping them to help themselves through learning by doing. So this is something that happens in the workplace when they are doing their job. Um, and we'll come on to more of that later. But I think the, the, the bottom one is my favorite. It's about unlocking a person's potential to maximize their own performance. It's helping them to learn rather than teaching them. And I think the, uh, the, the next slide kind of helps us with that. So we're used to new members of the team attending a training course, or if we're rolling out a new process or a new data set, they will be trained. So they have very little control over what's happening with them. Then they'll get a little bit more experience. They get out in the field with that new task, that new process. But it's always nice to have someone that you can go to for the answers. And that's where mentoring, to my mind, takes place. Then coaching is actually giving much more freedom and control to the person being coached. So they know what it is that they want to do. They need someone to talk that through with, but they need to come up with those solutions themselves. Does that make sense, Helen? Does that answer your question? Absolutely. And no, I think that's a really nice way of um, explaining it. Thank you. And I think it's also worth thinking about how coaching differs from management. And when I say differs, coaching is an essential part of the management job. Um, but there are certain things that differentiate one from each other. So if you look at the, the management column in this slide, setting targets, organizing structures, tracking progress, that's performance management. If we look at the right-hand side illustration here, we'll see that when it's coaching, you're helping that individual to identify key areas of development for themselves, providing honest feedback, and we'll come to that again in a moment. But what you want is to encourage decision-making and self-sufficiency. We'll do a little bit, uh, a little exercise a little later on, which actually highlights why that itself is important. Um, but you're also getting them or they are asking you for opinions and ideas on what it is that they want to do. But it's really important that they still own the decision. So, Kevin, with this in mind, and, and you spoke earlier about coaching being a helpful conversation. Do you think it's important for managers to help their coachees? I think you've used the word coachee to understand the difference between a conversation that I may have with you as a manager and the conversation that I might have with you as a coach. Is that important? I think, I think it's more important for the manager than it is for the coachee. What I would like managers to be able to do over time is actually to mix the two seamlessly. It's really important that the coachee understands the intent of the conversation. So they need to know if it's a performance management conversation in the negative sense. And I think we need to, to remember that performance management should be the whole process. So, so reward and recognition as well as managing uh, poor performance. I think if a manager becomes skilled in this, they can, they can seamlessly deliver both. And the, the employee, the team member, actually knows when each thing's happening and values both equally so that, that it isn't the right I'm going to stop what I'm doing now and I'm going to do some coaching that feels really clunky for both parties no thank you 
What we found in the 2018 survey was really interesting. Um, there were only 40% of the um, population who had a dedicated MSL manager. And it's my belief that those 40% um, would be getting more face-to-face -face coaching time. Then you look at the other 60% and realize that their managers are at a distance, which actually makes coaching more difficult, um, but not impossible. But the likelihood is that the coaching received by those people who don't have a dedicated manager is significantly reduced from those that do. So and we I need guess, to consider that too. Yeah, and, and I guess that hopefully part of the intention of this webinar is to bring to life the value of coaching for perhaps those managers who are at a distance, who have got multiple other responsibilities in addition to the management of their teams. And, and sometimes, you know, time becomes a challenge, but if we can really help them see the value, then perhaps the opportunity is more readily sought. I, I think that's true. I also think that um, we help them see why if they can spend what limited time they have in coaching their teams, it's more beneficial to them in the long run. So it doesn't matter how limited your time is. If you invest that time in coaching, the rewards are going to be greater. So to think about that, the next slide you know, when do you want your MSLs to be brilliant? I'm guessing that the answer to that will be all the time. So that's the challenge. You want your MSLs to be doing the best that they can do every single time. Well, every single day. It doesn't matter whether they're directly um, HCP facing or, or whether they're, they're doing other work. And then a, an activity for, for those um, listening in to do later on. But you can probably kind of do a, a quick mental calculation. If we think about how many MSLs there are on your team, if we think about how many days those MSLs are having HCP interactions and create a, a, a number from that, and then we consider how many in-field days you're having with each of your MSLs, you subtract one from the other, and actually you'll see that the MSLs are out there on their own doing their job for the greatest proportion of time. <clears throat> which sounds really simple, but it's the implications of that that I want people to think about. You want those people to actually be making really good decisions, to know where their performance sits, and to be working on improving those performance in those days that you aren't able to be with them, probably even more than the times that you are. So there's this huge expense of time where your MSLs are out there and could be developing their skills without you um, in place. And if you can create this coaching, co coaching culture, um, then actually that's, that's more likely to happen. Again, if we look at the, uh, the survey results from 2018, you'll see there that about 50% of the population are getting either one or no um, coaching visits um, in a year. So there are people out there that are doing a good job or not doing a good job or, you know, stumbling over some interactions and have kind of nowhere to turn. You know, I'm all, almost uh, challenged to say one visit um, is probably as good as no visits.
to be honest, because it's what you're able to do during that conversation and whether you're able to identify things that need to change or that the the MSL wants to improve um, and then having a follow-up to see whether in fact that change has happened. So that's really important. It's also important um, that when we asked this question during the survey, we talked about number of coaching visits. So there's a risk that some of these numbers will relate to, I had my manager out with me for a day that actually doesn't measure whether any coaching went on during that time. So again, it's the how can we make sure that we're using our coaching skills um, effectively? And I, think, and I think actually that finding, Kevin, may also be reflective of what we have heard from various managers who say, I only feel that I need to coach when I have bad performance. So it, it's, it's that kind of disconnect almost, isn't it, between their, their understanding of coaching and what it can mean, which is uh, your, your uh, next uh, slide. Yeah, and I, th I think that's really important for managers to talk about that, to have the opportunity to discuss what they think about coaching. Um, at a, a recent event, we had exactly that conversation. And all of a sudden, they wanted to coach because they could see the benefit of coaching to their teams. They'd kind of shied away from it because they believed that actually coaching was something that you did to highlight poor performance. And in fact, my own, own experience in my coaching career was um, people were very wary of me when I started in an organization. They'd never had a, a management coach before. And they thought if I went out with them, I was there to fix them, which is, you know, couldn't be further from the truth. So now we want to think about what the skills are of a good coach. And again, it, it's great to do this as an exercise because you get people un understanding the difference between skills and attributes. And you get people thinking about things that aren't necessarily essential skills for coaching. And we're going to look at the four that I consider to be essential when you're starting out again i'd like to point out that i don't believe that as a coach you're ever completely there you've always got something new to learn every time you're in an interaction with a coachee you will pick up something that you hadn't considered in that way before so so you're always learning as well so the four skills that we're going to look at and um, it would be great to have all day to do this when you're out in the field or, or you have the opportunity to spend time with your MSL, I think observation is an essential skill. We then need to think about giving feedback in terms of what you've uh, directly observed. Um, and then we need to think about the, the, the two skills of questioning and listening, which actually build this conversation, this helpful conversation that you're going to have with your coaches. So observation. I don't know how many of you um, online have met Where's Wally or Where's Waldo before, but if I was to ask you Where's Wally in this picture, you would have no chance of thinking about where Wally was unless you knew what Wally looked like. Um, and, and the point of, of kind of highlighting this is we talk about um, having best-in-class MSLs. Unless we've defined for ourselves on a, an organizational level what we believe best-in-class MSLs look like, we have nothing to base our observations on. 
So we need to think about what do we want to see in our best MSLs and then go out and look for it. This is probably the question that we are asked more than any other question. Help uh, us understand what the best in class MSL looks like. What are the skills? What are the capabilities? What are the behaviours? Because unless you know, how can you possibly seek to build best in class teams? That's exactly right. And what we want to add in here is as much objectivity as we possibly can. So within any organisation, we would want all MSL managers to be thinking about best in class MSLs in exactly the same way. Or else you get differing levels of effectiveness in your MSL team because everyone is being considered differently. And whilst I don't want to spend too much time on it, actually having something like a behavioural matrix can really help that. Um, but if you look at your role profile within your organisation, you can start to think about what you're actually looking for. And then that will add consistency to the observations that are given, which leads to the next essential skill, which is giving and receiving feedback. Yes, most people dread feedback, Kevin. <laughs> I, 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 I'm dreading my own later this morning. Um, I think I think it's um it's again something that as a manager suddenly you're thrust into this role where you have to do this on a regular basis, and we often find giving positive feedback quite easy, although we don't necessarily do it well. But giving constructive feedback is something that I think most people stumble over. And that's because we don't want to knock the confidence of the individuals that we're working with. Having said that, I have seen some examples of where I've, I've seen managers who seem to enjoy the constructive feedback. And, and uh, you know, I use the, the word constructive uh, loosely. Negative feedback is something that they, they find easier because actually it, it means that they're in control. So we need to think about how we do it and what we're doing. Uh, as a reminder, before giving feedback, you need to think about why you're doing it. So the purpose of the feedback should be to improve the situation or the person's performance, which kind of frames it in the negative. What I think we need to do better um, generally is when we're giving good feedback be really specific in that feedback so that people knew exactly what they did well because they can replicate that too and often if you speak to your best performers and say you know how is it that you managed to do that they won't know so this observation and then feedback of positive behaviours is really important to help them build and replicate on what they're doing well. Can I and ask, it, Kevin? Yes, can do. I ask, do, is, it, is it important to ask the coachee, um, may I give you some feedback? I, that's something that I kind of remember from the past. It's almost seeking permission because if the coachee is not receptive to receiving feedback, that's when it can go horribly wrong. Although what, what, what we're saying here is that this should be positive feedback or the intention. 
So I think that the intention should be positive, whether it's positive feedback or constructive feedback. That, that's number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to consider how the coachee likes to receive feedback. So that's a really good conversation to have when you're you know, explaining or agreeing what, what this coaching relationship is going to look like. But I think it is, it's better to get into a situation where culturally they are expecting to receive feedback at some point in time during that conversation rather than because as soon as someone says to you do you mind if I give you some feedback you tend to kind of build up your your armor (laughs) thinking what you know what's coming now but again I think that needs to be decided on a person-to-person basis on a coach-to-coachee basis there is no hard and fast rule this is about creating a trusted relationship between two people you know, all things are for negotiation. Having said that, as a manager, if you need to give constructive feedback, you need to give that feedback as soon after the um, event as possible or else it won't mean anything. And, and that's a beautiful kind of lead into one of the feedback models that, that I tend to use purely because it's easy. And I think it's easy in as much as it helps you to construct the feedback that you want to give, but it also helps you build the words around it. So for those people that aren't familiar, I I use the SBI feedback model, which is around identifying the situation, describing the behavior that was seen and explaining the impact of that behavior. So just to to kind of a, a conversation to illustrate that, During yesterday morning's HCP meeting when you gave your presentation, that's the situation. You seemed uncertain about two of your slides and your explanation about haemoglobin management. That's the behavior. You saw them being uncertain. And then you explain its impact. So during yesterday morning's HCP meeting when you gave your presentation, you seemed uncertain. I'm worried that that will affect the physician's confidence in your knowledge. And that's the kind of thing that's becoming more and more important. We've got people who are seeing few healthcare professionals infrequently. So what you're trying to do is building this trusted partnership with the physician. And yet something like this can actually mean that you're not adding the value to them. And so they're not necessarily kind of building this trust with you. So it's important to highlight why that is. And then it's really important that you allow the person time to think about what's been said and then coach them to come up with specific actions to help them improve or in the positive to help them replicate. So, so the, the identifying the situation helps people take them, their minds back to exactly where they were. Um, for, for those of us that are visual, you can almost play the video in your head and then you can see and hear what went on. So the sooner you can do this after the occasion, the better. <clears throat> I, would, I would say with caution, though, if the, the MSL is seeing two HCPs and you're moving between um, those engagements, I would suggest that you don't do that conversation before the second one unless it was a positive Um, piece of feedback you want to give because they can build on it in the second one if it's going to uh, kind of damage their confidence for the second one you need to make a decision about whether you you need to give that feedback or whether it can wait to the end of the day so moving on to questioning Helen you had a question about this slide (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't understand this slide. <laughs> Take me through this slide. <laughs> I um I, I I think it's very easy when you are doing the questioning part of a coaching conversation to explore the coachee's reality too much. Um, because if we're how, thinking about um, a coachee having a situation that they want to improve upon, it usually means that they're, they're coming from a place that they're not happy about. That, that not being happy could just be, you know, not being happy with a really small part of their performance. If you ask them too much about that thing, you can take them in a downward spiral and dig yourself a hole that's more difficult to get out of because they suddenly think that their little problem is bigger than it started. So what, what, what the point of this slide is, you need to think about the questions that you're asking to make sure that your questions are helping them get over that obstruction. So this isn't about understanding the, the situation in its entirety, it's about under, understanding the situation enough to help them think about how they could move forward. So, so that's what I'm, I'm saying with this slide. Uh, I understand now, thank you. So questioning is, is an important skill that we, we could all do better. And then this one, I'm often asked what the difference is between listening and hearing. And again, um, you know, first stop the, the dictionary. Hearing is the ability to perceive a sound. So it's the physical process. Listening is what you do with your brain to process that sound and make sense of it. So that needs to take time. Uh, and again, we could, we could spend an afternoon discussing listening. Um, but, but my challenge to, to everyone is how good a listener are you? Because we know that many people listen to the point where they feel that they've got something that they can add. So if you're exploring a situation with one of your coaches, so they've got a problem in some part of their role, this could be their interaction with an HCP. And they want to tell you all about that. A manager's job, they think, I've been there, is to fix that problem. So what they'll do is they will think of the idea that they've got in their head. And the thing that they really, really want to do is give that idea directly to the coachee to do it, particularly when they're in a, a, a time pressured environment. So they're on a call, a phone call with their, their coachee, a member of their team who's got this issue. The easiest thing to do is give them an answer. Because that speeds it up and your coachee can go away and implement that or not. Because you need to think about the answer that you come up with is the answer that you would use, not necessarily the one that they would use. So that's really important. You need to think about what they're saying. So what is it that's behind the issue that they've got? Is it a skill thing? Is it attitude? Is it confidence? So, so listening becomes... Um, much more important and and as someone who likes to talk um, I find when I need to listen I have to sit on my hands because when I'm talking I'm doing it now I'm using lots of gestures so if I sit on my hands I'm gesturing less so I'm likely to talk less so everyone needs to think about how they listen best and replicate that at every opportunity when they're in a coaching situation 
So, you know, Kevin, I, I love quotes. And, and I think my, my quote of the year so far is the Stephen Covey quote, which is that most people listen with the intent to reply, not with the intent to understand. Absolutely. And I think, and, and I think it's so true. So, so true. We've got to work hard at this. Uh, and and I, again, I saw another quote last week, I think it was from the Dalai Lama, um, who actually said something like, if we talk, we learn what we already know. If we listen, we might learn something new. Mm. Um, I, and I think that's really important in a coaching relationship because actually you learn more about the person and you learn better ways to help them in the future. Absolutely. So hopefully I haven't put people off. I still am passionate about coaching. And, and the, the question I often get asked is, you know, can anyone coach? And I think that anyone can. Um, but the important thing is that they need to want to. Um, so they need to want to coach, not manage. They need to want to improve their coaching. So this is, as I said at the beginning, something that's never finished. Um, and actually, I've spent many years coaching coaches. Um, and that can happen on all different levels, from the, the, the kind of the basic skills, am I doing this right, to how could I make this even better? I'm coaching someone who's already excellent at their job. What can I do to add even more? Um, and I find that work fascinating. I also think that one of the things that's really important is that from an organizational perspective, the people who are going to be coached know why that is. Um, so um, I've often run sessions around coaching the coachee so that there's a common understanding about why the organization thinks that coaching is a really important um, way of developing their skills. And then you can build in the fact that actually it's there because they are valued. It's not there um, because you're worried about their, their current performance level. And, you know, if we go back to the um, coaching survey results, uh, we'll know that, that the actual face-to-face -face time with coaches is limited. So we need to think about, in this age of technology, how we can do other things which are equally beneficial. So, you know, big one on the visuals, it's fairly self-explanatory, but telephone calls. It's great to be able, particularly if someone is, is going to see a healthcare professional that they find particularly difficult, a coaching phone call to build up their confidence just before they go in to, to have that interaction, hugely powerful. Likewise, debriefing straight after. It means that you don't have to spend huge amounts of time traveling for, you know, 30 or 30 minutes or an hour's worth of input. Again, using your mobile phone, there's things like um, FaceTime and WhatsApp video, which means you can have a face-to-face -face interaction um, at a distance. Using your laptop, you've got the likes of Zoom to be able to, to, to do that. But also you can coach by email. So for instance, if someone's working on their planning um, for, for interactions or their planning of a presentation, they can send that to you and you can add comments or questions and then perhaps follow up with a phone call. I don't think anything beats a good face-to-face -face interaction. So wherever possible, 
I would suggest that face-to-face -face is, is, is better and in-person is great. But you pick up things when you can see someone's face that you can't pick up um, if you can't see it. So, so I would always promote those. And that is a whistle-stop tour um, about what I think the essential skills of coaching are.